80% of my practice, Andrew, are people who are what I, I termed as having 3MD syndrome. You know what is 3MD syndrome? So this is these are the people that uh, I served as the last resort doctor for them. Because uh, many of them have, when they come to me, they have multiple diseases, particularly lifestyle related. They're taking multiple drugs and they have so many doctors or multiple doctors. That's why I call it 3MD syndrome. Or another way I explain it to them is that they have a maintenance disease. That's why they have a maintenance drugs. And that's why they need also to have a maintenance doctors. Ah, so the way that go, when people come to me uh, in the Philippines, that means to say they have gotten tired of that kind of management wherein everything is fragmented. Everything is too focused on drugs and disease. And uh, th- th- that that's when they need help in uh, really um, managing their health and restoring back their health. Uh, so that's how I talk about it to my patients. Metabolic syndrome increases the risk of heart disease, diabetes, stroke, and many other serious health problems. What are the underlying issues, lifestyle factors, and nutrition factors that are fueling this syndrome? I am excited to share this conversation with Oyi Balburias, an integrative and functional physician based in the Philippines, as he shares his experience with getting to the root cause or causes of metabolic syndrome and inspiring his patients to live healthy, thriving lives. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health. This is a podcast that is dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. And I can tell you that I really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Baborius today about metabolic syndrome. If you or a loved one has metabolic syndrome and want to better understand the steps you can take to get to the root causes, this conversation is for you. Dr. Oye, uh, welcome to our podcast. Uh, Kamusta? Uh, I'm okay, Andrew. Kamusta? So how are you too? So Nice to see you again since uh, I think we last saw each other in May, right? So I was there last In May. It's great to see you here in uh, Maryland and uh, great to have some lunch with you. Going to meet some people here. Um, But definitely, um, you know, this is a really great podcast episode we're about to tape because here, you know, our podcast is really going global. We're looking at, you know, healthcare and wellness in the Philippines, which is where you are, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, Based in Manila. Uh, been practicing uh, functional medicines uh, way back 2013. 2013. 2013. Yeah. That's so great. Well, as a doctor in the Philippines, what what drew you uh, Oye, to become a functional medica- medicine doctor? Well, um, uh, by uh, training, I am a uh, cert- board certified general internist like you. Uh? Yes. And uh, the way we're expected is supposed to supposed to be. Uh, select an organ and uh, become a subspecialist doctor. But uh, I guess there are other plans for me. So uh, for some reason, I got involved in a hospital where in uh, a, a wellness center is, uh, is, a, is a service that is offered uh, to um, provide corporate health care. Uh, so and that's where I got into realize the difference between managing health and managing diseases. Um, so uh, that's when I realized, especially after hearing, um, of course, uh, Mark Hyman way back in 2009. So I, st- I learned about functional medicine way back 2009, but just formally trained in it uh, 2013. But uh, so that's when 
I realized I wanted to practice it because um, during the time also, I had my own medical uh, emergency. Now, so, uh, well, my past life, I was a healthcare executive, uh, very, living a very stressful and busy um, uh, career. Uh, I was uh, actually managing, I was part of actually managing uh, two hospitals um, uh, in two different places here in the Philippines, which requires me to, to fly um, uh, almost like twice a week or four times a week, uh, uh, an hour flight um, uh, plane ride. So, and uh, during the, those times, uh, like I would um, really miss sleep, sleep, and then I would be um, eating uh, foods in the airport, in the airport, and uh, which then led for me after two years of doing that job, no, going back and forth Manila to another province here in the Philippines. I felt um, uh, chronic fatigue. And, uh, and I started having high blood pressure and I was having chronic fatigue and I was having um, uh, chronic headache and chest pain as well. So of course, I, am, I was part of a, um, of a big healthcare system here in the Philippines, a network, uh, one of the biggest network of hospitals here. So I thought I was, um, I, I was sick. And of course, I consulted all my colleagues who are all expert doctors and but all of them were saying that everything is normal, everything is fine, except that I am just stressed uh, and that I need to um, unload some of my work. Um, but um, I've always been stressed. I mean, I've been working in the hospital for uh, during the, that time, almost my, I guess, eight years already working for that hospital. And uh, so I know that it's not just stress. And, uh, and, uh, I did all the work up. Of course, I was an employee of the hospital, and uh, but everything is normal. Not typical. Everything is normal, uh, except you, except how you feel. Until that's when I realized um, that uh, I'm not yet sick, but definitely I was unhealthy, and that I was um, metabolically imbalanced, <laughs> and chronic stress definitely uh, has a significant role. That. Um, that caused those biological imbalances or metabolic imbalances. And so I consulted a functional medicine doctor uh, and uh, he was instrumental in, uh, in restoring back my health. And after, because for almost two years during the time uh, with that kind of work, very uh, a lot of uh, plane rides, I really felt that I was too old. No, I was like, I felt like I was already like 60 years old or 70 years old. But during that time, I was just, I think, 42 years old. No, when when I had that medical problem, and that's when um, I realized that I wanted to really to practice this kind of medicine. So even though I knew about it uh, during uh, even years before that, uh, that's when I made a decision that I want to pursue it and um, decided to took the. The training program uh, to take the training program of IFM, um, which uh, um, uh, God's blessing, I was able to finish it and I was able to pass the certification like you. And since then, I've never um, looked back. My transition from a full-time uh, functional medicine practice was quite um, uh, by by phases. So I didn't really full uh, full-time practice it. Um, but uh, way back in 2018. Uh, I really transitioned in a full-time functional medicine practice. So that's, uh, uh, that's it, my own personal reason. And professionally, uh, as I've said, I am a healthcare executive here in our, in our country. And uh, I started as a doctor uh, in the rural areas. 
in the underdeveloped areas of the country. And uh, it's like we call it, it's a program wherein um, you are sent after passing the boards, um, you serve in the rural town or rural areas wherein uh, some people have not seen a doctor for so many decades. <laughs> so I served for, I did that job for almost three years. And that's when I saw the health inequity in our country. And, um, and I realized that no matter what they do uh, to um, providing access or spending so much access to health services, it's not going to cut it. No? So there has to be something else. And, uh, and that's when it led me to uh, valuing the um, the practice of um, prevention of diseases, or more than that, it's really health optimization. You no, know? so starting with food, with um, with lifestyle. You no, know? so and uh, so when I learned about functional medicine, uh, it was an easy transition for me because I know that is what our country needs. So and that's it. After uh, more than a cent more than a decade. Uh, I never look back anymore in my practice of uh, illness medicine. So going from transitioning from, like you said, illness medicine or focusing on, you know, isolated organs, essentially, right, in internal medicine mm -hmm. with with our traditional training, of course, to, to kind of this idea of of wellness and, and the connection between the body's, you know, organ systems, but also the mind, body, spirit. It sounds like all those yeah, things correct, needed to correct. be integrated for a you to develop your professional career but also for your personal healing journey as well right mm -hmm. yeah and and the other thing that i i guess you know we want to get into from a, a a kind of a public health or global health perspective is you know how do you feel in 2022 here uh, dr Oye, what is the state of healthcare in the philippines well just like in the u.s um i think ifm have uh, aptly defined it that even before this pandemic, there was already an epidemic of chronic diseases. So, and yeah. that's the same case here in our country because, you know, the Philippines and the Americans have uh, centuries of relationships. No? So, yes, uh, yes. so really like to, uh, to copy what the Americans are doing, right? So that's why if you will look at the uh, uh, morbidity, mortality uh, data of the Philippines, it's actually almost a mirror image of the, of the uh, American uh, morbidity mortality data because well uh, everything the Americans are doing including their food are right here in our country <laughs> from from fast food no so 67 um, percent uh, of uh, Filipinos who uh, who died uh, were dying are um, prematurely dying are dying from non-communicable diseases those that are preventable no mm -hmm. so uh, it so happens that this virus this uh, pandemic, uh, have labeled those people with non-communicable diseases to be the one that are really vulnerable to having a severe uh, outcome of this COVID-19. So it was not surprising, uh, especially we are a third world country, that our healthcare system will easily break down because to begin with, we are really unhealthy even before this pandemic uh, occurred, right? So, and I guess that's the realization. It really, um, uh, to me, the pandemic, I don't want to call it like a, ble a blessing, but it actually really amplified my message for the past 10 years as to how different it is to, uh, to manage health versus managing diseases at a fragmented and highly specialized approach. Uh, but um, if indeed you want to be healthy, you start with the basics. No? So the pandemic really amplified that message. In fact, during the entire two years, I think I've given almost like almost a daily webinars about how to 
uh, how to uh, boost or strengthen uh, the, the immune system. No? And uh, a lot of doctors here, especially patients, do not know that uh, our immune system are located in the gut, that 70% of it are significantly located and affected by the food that we are eating. In fact, I've encountered doctors, Andrew, that um, who tell their patients, no, cancer patients, that they can eat anything they want, <laughs> especially after the chemotherapy. Or there are, a lot of, there are some doctors here that will tell their patients that what you're eating has nothing to do why you're sick, why do you have diabetes. No? So uh, there's really a lot of... Um, our healthcare system is a bit delayed by around 25 years. Um, as, uh, because still it's still very much fragmented, still very much highly uh, subspecialized, you no, know, and too focused on drugs and diseases. You no, know? so not everyone, not every doctor here would talk like me, you no, know, or will. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't sound like there's the financial incentives or the system in place across the board, uh, which I think we could probably say the same thing about the U.S. You know, in terms of, I think it's slowly evolving, and there, people are trying to do that. Leaders in the healthcare space trying to do that. Um, what would you, what do you think it would take to move the needle on the state of healthcare in the Philippines from focusing more on illness and subspecialization to wellness? Well, um, I think there's a lot of factors you now from political to um, the that there are legal aspects as well, and of course um, the, uh, the 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 social uh, uh, issues as well, or uh, the financial factors as well, because political, because as I've said. Uh, in our country, the practice of uh, the, the healthcare, the Philippine healthcare, is still based on a 1912 law. No? so it's still mm. out, it's very much outdated. Okay. It's very much outdated. Um, so um, public health uh, perspective or the public health practice here is still uh, a century-old practice. So uh, a lot have needs to be done, but. Um, I think more importantly, uh, we can use the power of um, uh, social media to, to provide accurate and scientific uh, information. But sadly, uh, that social media is also at times uh, utilized in order to peddle misinformation and disinformation, which really aggravates uh, the situation. You know? mm -hmm. So because there's a lot of enterprising um, um, people who tend to... Um, uh, capitalized on the lack of information or the lack of knowledge about uh, what is really uh, a true healthcare no? or an updated healthcare in the Philippines. No? So uh, a lot of issues like from uh, uh, the inequity of healthcare in our country, there are people who can access uh, modern uh, facilities just like what you have there in the United States, but there are also areas here in our country that um, have not even have no, no access at all to just basic health services. So, uh, so many factors are like, uh, there are a lot of provinces here, Andrew, that um, have no uh, healthcare professionals, have not seen a doctor in, in decades, no? only nurses or uh, uh, health workers, but doctors, most doctors, a lot of doctors, as I've said, are going out of the country and then uh, those who are who decides to stay, especially the sub, the specialist one, um, they tend to practice in urban areas or areas where in um, they have access to technology, they have access to modern uh, technology. So a, a big big uh, gap in inequity. 
in health. Is there, do you think telehealth could bridge the gap there at all uh, in terms of people kind of seeing people online and things? You know, I did that years ago. I thought really it was, no, but uh, again, um, because, you know, a lot of, um, a big, a significant part of the Filipinos are living beyond, below poverty line, okay, about, uh, about um, so they don't even have access to, as I've said, to basic healthcare. So it's not just about access to healthcare services, I think. Ah, got um, it. It, it's really about um, the, the way that there should be focus on making people healthy through proper yeah. nutrition. No? So, because they're yeah. already poor, that's why they're getting sick, right? So, mm -hmm. because they have no access to nutrient-rich foods, no? and they have access to processed package and mm -hmm. ultra-processed foods. Ultra -processed foods, fast that's foods. That's the and, cheap one, yeah. right? So, right, and right. that makes them sick. And then when they get sick, since they have no access to, they cannot afford to pay for um, the healthcare, uh, then uh, that's a disparity. Really, so it's all private pay, right? There's no, there's not too many, um, not too many doctors on the insurance model. Is that right? We have a, a government insurance called PhilHealth, but um, it's very limited. And uh, well, they passed a law, um, uh, I think last year about it's called universal healthcare. But the problem in that particular uh, uh, universal healthcare is not really about healthcare. It's really about just guaranteeing that the government will be the number one customer of uh, for purchases of drugs you no know, for purchases of um, expensive hospital tests as i've said the focus is more on access to healthcare but healthcare that is a a downstream management of the problem yeah. right so uh, but what we need to uh, do just like what ifm is is saying is that we need to go more upstream you now so looking into how we can make the filipinos healthy Right, we, so. We've said this all along too. It's not just about universal access to healthcare, which I think would be one piece of the puzzle, but it's also about what the quality of healthcare is. Like you said, yes. is, it, is it talking about downstream consequences and just trying to pick up the pieces once they're broken versus versus upstream trying to prevent, you know, which is, it sounds like it's going to be more, more cost effective and of course going to save a lot of you know, uh, you know what, what are called, I think by the WHO, quality adjusted life years in the future. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you're, you're correct. So, so our, in our country, especially, we have that triad of disease burden, right? We have uh, still uh, dealing with uh, infectious diseases. We have we're dealing with non-communicable diseases, as well as we are an archipelago. We are hit by natural disasters from volcano eruptions, earthquake, and as well as a uh, typhoons, right? So, which um, so that's why we are um, dealing with the triple burden of disease, you no, know, or reasons why we are getting sicker, and that's why I see that providing access to healthcare services is not enough. No, I think yeah. there has to be more a proactive approach to improving our healthcare system. Well, we know we both know that that a traditional healthcare system is really a disease care model. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, that's the focus. So yeah, we can call it healthcare, but but it really has to span both treatment of illness, of course, that's helpful, but then also having some some sense of of you know wellness promotion. Let's talk about metabolic syndrome, if if that's okay. Um, we know that this is a leading issue in both the U.S. and the Philippines, and in fact, in a North Carolina study from 2017, here in the U.S., it was found that about 88% of people have metabolic syndrome. 
which which is a, a staggering amount. Basically, if someone doesn't have metabolic syndrome, they're more the exception rather than the rule. Um, how would you classify metabolic syndrome? What do you, what is metabolic syndrome? If you could just define that for for our uh, audience here, and also um, how is that uh, in the Philippines? Well, here in the Philippines, in my practice, I no longer call it metabolic syndrome, just focusing on the risk, but basically cardiometabolic conditions, risk, and predispositions. So wherein I um, not only focus on the laboratories or the integration of the the five factors that uh, would qualify someone to have metabolic syndrome, but really integrating it and incorporating it with the, uh, the metabolic uh, imbalances happening to a person, uh, starting from their uh, overeating to leading to um, uh, resulting to more uh, weight gain or more uh, excessive fat, especially on the central area, which then leads to uh, several metabolic um, dysfunctions like insulin dysfunction, chronic gut inflammation, those things. That's how I explain it to patient. Uh, so really just when a patient enters my clinic before, before the pandemic, just by looking at their body composition, I can see, um, I can say many things already that and attribute that particular cardiometabolic risk conditions and predispositions and how they can manage it better in order for them to avoid having more chronic diseases uh, and uh, achieving more longevity with vitality. No, so, 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 fact, so Dr. Oi, uh, say yeah. if I'm a patient there in the Philippines and I have a big gut or you know a little bit of belly fat, so what? What's the big deal? Why is that so important? Well, we, we say to them that this is actually the, the, the fifth vital sign, you know, this particular uh, central obesity. You know, in fact, um, 80% of my practice, Andrew, are people who are what I, I termed as having 3MD syndrome. You know what is 3MD syndrome? So this is, these are the people that uh, I served as a last resort doctor for them because uh, many of them have, when they come to me, they have multiple diseases, particularly lifestyle related, they're taking multiple drugs and they have so many doctors or multiple doctors. That's why I call it 3MD syndrome. Or another way I explain it to them is that they have a maintenance disease. That's why they have a maintenance drugs. And that's why they need also to have a maintenance doctors. Ah, So the way that when people come to me uh, in the Philippines, that means to say, they have gotten tired of that kind of management wherein everything is fragmented, everything is too focused on drugs and disease. And uh, that's when they need help in uh, really um, managing their health and restoring back their health. Uh, So that's how I talk about it to my patients. Let's talk about some of the root causes of the components of cardiometabolic conditions, like you were saying. So we have, for instance, uh, high cholesterol or or low HDL cholesterol, which is quote unquote good cholesterol, um, what we call dyslipidemia, this abnormality of lipid patterns. We have, you know, people with high blood pressure or high blood sugar, whether that's prediabetes or diabetes. We have what you said about excess visceral fat, meaning excess, especially weight in the abdomen around the belly region. Are all these conditions, uh, Dr. Oi, are they separate conditions? Do four of these five, five or five of these conditions need four or five medications, or how are they all related in terms of common root cause? Well, this leads to, of course, those excess um, fats that tends to uh, that results to having chronic uh, chronic gut inflammation, especially if it's a result of their compromised nutrition or uh, they're actually what I call overfed but undernourished. 
and this mm -hmm. chronic gut inflammation, which then leads to activation of uh, insulin resistance and insulin resistance, which then leads to problem on their energy metabolism, which tends for them to uh, become hungry because not every carbohydrates or every protein that they're eating is converted into energy, which then leads for them to manifest with chronic fatigue, and which tends for them to eat more because they feel hungry. No? And that's, that's then contributing to more weight gain, then it's a vicious cycle, right? So uh, that's why, as I've said, I, when patients come to me, even though they don't, um, they don't manifest any abnormalities, if, if their blood chemistry are still within the range, I don't talk to them about it. Let's say their fasting blood sugar to be abnormal. We talked about whether is it optimal for your age? No? Uh, if it's not optimal, then why is it that suboptimal? So what's driving why you have glucose metabolism inefficiency? Because I would expect that your fasting blood sugar, because you're only 30 years old, to be at a range between 81 to 85. No? But uh, it doesn't mean that it's 102 and it's not yet at the range, the diabetic range that endocrinologists would consider to be a problem that I won't do anything anymore. And that's when I correlate it with what they're eating, with their stress level, with their quality of sleep or duration of sleep, as well as, of course, with, uh, with uh, their body composition or their um, um, central obesity. And uh, later on as well, connecting it to their family history. So, uh, so I tend, so that's, in that case, I get to be more proactive, as I've said, uh, rather than, um, just simply giving prescription and does not address the root causes, particularly the central obesity. Uh, that's where I focus uh, uh, my discussion with my patients. Great, thank you so much. Uh, let's let's talk about the connection between between sugar and and fat. So so uh, I think there was a misconception back in the in the 1970s that uh, with the research coming out at that point or recommendations coming at that point that, you know, all fats are bad and we should eat all eat low fat. And then there was a proliferation of high carbohydrate or high sugar even um, foods or, or I should say ultra processed food like substances, right? And that that has at least, and it seems like that's globally led to a lot of, of problems with, with cardiometabolic conditions. Um, What's the relationship between sugar and fat, and, and how do you counsel, counsel, counsel patients about that? Well, um, just by uh, vilifying fats, no, uh, up to now, that, that kind of information is still prevalent here in our country. A lot of people still think that cholesterol, they, they, a lot of doctors do not know the distinction what is cholesterol, uh, uh, LDL cholesterol versus LDL particle. No, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, patients are still scared of eating fats, um, and that uh, when they think when 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 they think of fat, um, it's something that really will cause them to have the cardiometabolic risk conditions and predisposition. Uh, so when, of course, sugar to excess of it, especially simple refined sugar, which damages. Uh, if my patients are knowledgeable about the microbiome, so those are things that I discuss with them, and then how the impact of this excessive simple refined sugar that leads to insulin dysfunction and that insulin dysfunction could also affect why they have sodium retention. Uh, and the sodium retention is also one of the things that cause to why their blood vessel is, uh, is, uh, is affected or manifesting with endothelial dysfunction. So basically all of those things, um, showing them 
the different systems root causes as a result of their lifestyle and as a possible uh, contribution of their genetics and most especially as to the quality and lack of nutrients of their nutrition. Now, so that's how I um, explain it to, uh, to my patient. Now, so that uh, when it comes to the three macronutrients, complex carbohydrates, which becomes sugar or glucose, is different from a simple refined carbohydrates. So they are good carbohydrates. They are good proteins and damaged proteins, as well as there are balance of fats. There are pro-inflammatory fats. There are anti-inflammatory fats. But fat is something that is essential in order for us to form our cell wall. It's something that is essential to, uh, to provide a balance between pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory effect. So the key when it comes to fats will be balanced. No, so, but uh, I tell my patients that there's no such thing as evil macronutrient groups. So I don't believe in diet because everything, uh, all these three macronutrients are uh, essential substrates in order for our body to create the energy that our cells will need. So that's how- um, Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, the other thing is when you talk about, you know, diets, especially that word, it's, it's, I think can be triggering for a lot of people and it, it can sort of provide these misconceptions that, okay, you know, a, a diet has to be something that, that we do to treat illness as opposed to promote health. You know, it's more like, what is the food pattern that you're going to do day in and day out most days of the week? Correct. Is that kind of your idea? They, of things? They, tend to, they tend to think of it that if you place them on a diet, that uh, it's going to deprive them. It's, it's mm -hmm. going to deprive them. But as I've said, even when I place a patient on elimination diet, I still tell them that we're just removing some potential food triggers, but the food plan that I selected for you are still balanced. It will still have adequate protein, adequate fats, and adequate um, carbohydrates or complex carbohydrates. So it's really just defining those terms and then translating them into um, the, to a food ingredients that they can appreciate and recognize and really just sometimes simply changing uh, or uh, making them realize that uh, whole, real, and processed foods uh, uh, are different from the, the, the refined, packaged, processed, uh, or fast food that they are consuming. So sometimes just changing what they're eating, you don't really have to uh, put them on a diet, no? Uh, or reducing those highly processed foods, it makes a lot of big difference. And um, uh, their body responds uh, to it even after a few days or after a few weeks. So, so this is the most important question today. I think one of the most important questions. So, so I've, as you know, we have an amazing healthcare virtual assistant team in the Philippines. And, um, and we were talking about um, actually Jollibee's. You know, Jollibee's is a as a chain that is very well known in the Philippines. And there's actually 13 locations here in the US, one of which is in Maryland. So I went and tried that. It was very delicious food. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, as a doctor that deals with cardiometabolic conditions and, you know, we're kind of saying, um, yeah, fast food, maybe not good every day. How often would you recommend people, uh, you know, if, if they're trying to do something, say in moderation and, and, you know, what is sort of a realistic for people, do you think, that are trying to get healthier 
um, a frequency for things like fast food, or is it is it zero, or is it uh, you know it's maybe depending on the person and their health conditions. What, what would you say about that? Because I think that's a realistic question for people, you know. Well, I, I believe in the Pareto rule, no? so at least 80% uh, of whole, real, nutrient-rich foods, but, uh, and then 20%. I'm not perfect as well. I mean, I do eat uh, fast food from time to time, but it's not Do you ever eat Jollibee's? Uh, I had did, I do, I do. Like, especially when, um, like, uh, when you attend parties uh, and yeah. serve you. But uh, when, uh, I, I, I know how, of course, you know how to detox, but uh, as I've said, I said, I, I try to, um, or educate my patients about the value of uh, optimal nutrition. No? Yeah. And when patients ask me about it, uh, Doc, can I eat this? Can I eat this? Or am I allowed to eat this? I, I tell my patients, I am not a police. I am a, I'm a doctor teacher. I will only give you information about the foods that I think will help restore your optimal oh, health. No. Okay, How you use that information, it's up to you. If you yeah. want to eat the kind of food, I'll tell you why it is causing problems in your system in the long run, okay, in, in my assessment of your system's imbalances. And then you still decide whether you still want to eat that particular food, like a fast food, okay? I don't really mm -hmm. dictate nor decide for them, no? So I've always get that question. Doc, can, uh, can I eat this? Can I eat that? So I said, I'm not a police I'm, yeah, I'm that's a great answer. So everyone is the CEO of their own health. They decide, you know, for themselves and you know how often or how much or whatnot. Um, but but yeah, so that's that's a great that's a great question. Let's kind of flip over to the other conversation on nutrition now. On we have certainly a certain number of people that are overfed but undernourished. How about people in the Philippines that are are malnourished? You know that they just don't have access to food at all. What what? Uh, how big is that? problem uh, that's about well um in recent years i know it's up there about um uh, uh 3.1 uh, million filipinos who are really severely malnourished or who okay. are really who gets hungry i have no access to food uh, so that's uh, that's quite significant as well so as i've said there are two phases of problems in nutrition here overfed and undernourished as well as malnutrition most of them especially um uh, children no, so uh, it's quite a big problem. And um, um, as I've said, even uh, providing access to them, if, if, it's nothing, if it's something that's not sustainable, then uh, they, it, the problem will still uh, persist because um, instead of just, we have feeding programs. Now, most government, our government will provide feeding programs. But um, what, will be, what will happen after those feeding programs ends then those people, because they have no access to basic social services, uh, still uh, will still feel the uh, hunger, will still, uh, the problem of malnutrition continues. So as mm -hmm. of um, uh, years ago, 2017, I think it's about, there are 2.4 or 2.7 million Filipinos who are really severely uh, going to uh, uh, severe hunger, no access to food. And that have increased uh, after several years to almost more than 3 point something million. So quite a big problem. Uh, is that more in the uh, rural areas or is it kind of all over rural and urban? In, in both, um, in both uh, urban setting as well as in rural areas as well. No? So okay. um, uh, in both areas, uh, th there are people who have no access to food. 
Mm-hmm. You, mentioned, you mentioned this th- triple threat at the beginning about you know, infectious disease, non-communicable diseases like metabolic or cardiometabolic syndromes, and then climate change is another factor in health. Uh, how has climate change affected both Philippines health and I would also ask about crop yield and you know farmland yield and things like that. Is, is there any data on that yet? Well, uh, there's, um, of course, every typhoon damages mm-hmm. uh, uh, our, our agricultural industry. I mean, uh, oftentimes yeah. it's really amounting to billions, um, uh, okay. especially okay. there are provinces or areas uh, in the Philippines that are really prone to being hit by severe typhoons, uh, not yeah. just once, but several times uh, in, the, in, in a year. Uh, and yeah. mm. uh, yeah. climate change is also causing uh, emergence as well of, um, of infectious diseases. No, or uh, particularly uh, we have what you call dengue season here in the Philippines, every rainy season. So we say that dengue is not just a medical problem, it's actually a social problem because um, the reason why there's a lot of mosquito vectors is that because, especially in urban areas, because there's flooding. There's flooding because there's a lot of garbage uh, clogging drainage, right? So our, our country is um, is dirty. No? So that's why uh, that particular dengue season we're in, oftentimes it really uh, paralyzes the healthcare system because of uh, a lot of uh, hospitalization during those uh, rainy season. Uh, we say that dengue is not just um, a healthcare problem. It's actually a social problem. So that that's severe. Well, um, so with all these issues, how do you help your patients? How do you help the community? What are kind of the most impactful recommendations that you give to people in terms of their, their lifestyle or nutrition or movement or different things like that? But my personal mission statement, my personal mission is I do connect with churches because we are yeah. um, we are a, uh, a Christian country, so I connect with different sects of religion, from Protestants to Catholic, and uh, these uh, churches have communities that they care of, that, that they take care of. Now, so mm-hmm. and that's where I provide a lot of education and health promotion uh, talks, webinars, as well as I connect with corporate organizations because you know uh, these are the people who are the breadwinners in their family. But at the same time, these are the people who are at risk, really, of having the cardiometabolic conditions, risk, and predispositions. No? So they are the ones who are chronically stressed, eating unhealthy foods, sleep deprived, not exercising, right? So, and then third, I also connect with uh, uh, organizations, um, like organizations of patients, like organizations of cancer patients, of, uh, of parents with uh, neurodevelopmental conditions. And all of these uh, connections and networks that I, um, I uh, connect with, I utilize health promotion, health education as a way to maybe it's not going to be enough, definitely, but it's a start. It's uh, planting the seeds. Um, of course, education, uh, knowledge is power, right? So uh, so every uh, that is what will compel them to make a decision to change what they're eating. So uh, I try to uh, provide them practical uh, information, simple information, like just um, um, maintaining a regular eating pattern rather than erratic eating pattern, uh, maintaining a regular sleeping pattern and a biological sleeping pattern. Uh, small things um, uh, that if they start doing uh, um, in the long run, 
could make a big difference as far as their health is concerned. So that's how I do it. Um, a lot of education, uh, um, especially with uh, after the pandemic, with uh, Zoom making it available for me to have several uh, webinars in a day. So I, it, it made it easier and uh, um, multiplied uh, my reach and connections in educating the Filipinos about really what is the way to manage their health versus managing diseases. So the message is um, you start investing in your health right now uh, through effort, through your resources, through your food, and so that you avoid spending for your diseases later on in life. So that's that's yeah. how I do it. Yeah, the best investment is is in your, your own health and your family's health and community's health. I love how you connect also with the communities and give people these, you know, educational talks. It sounds like different different things. Um, really planting the seeds. I almost imagine this seeds are planted and these beautiful mango trees come up. Although it'd be interesting to find a way to get the mangoes low carb, right? Well, when you come here, we'll we'll bring you to uh, to a mango farm here. Uh, yes. So we're in the the trees are just as tall as you. And oh you yeah. Can just pick the the mangoes. Pick them. Yeah. Yeah. The mangoes are actually on the floor already. Or in the ground yes. already. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes. I, I have some familiarity with that because my aunt lives in Hawaii, and uh, and she had a neighbor with a mango tree, and so we would, you know, pick the mangoes off the tree from the opposite okay. side, you know, yeah. of the fence. But yeah, the Cebu mangoes are, are really great. They're really great. Um, <laughs> that's, that's uh, I, I know that, but I I think for sure. Um, let's let's talk about um, let's talk about some other kind of uh, basic things that listeners that people can do for themselves or with their families, with their loved ones that are practical, that are kind of, that are, you know, basically low cost or free. Um, I think if we want to go through some of the lifestyle factors, it'd be great. Things like movement and getting more sleep and how to manage stress. I think those things are things that, you know, potentially it sounds like they can all kind of build upon each other, right? They're kind of all synergistic and they support each other, both in nutrition and all the other lifestyle factors. Well, one thing that I always tell my patient is that if you want to be healthy, start cooking. I mean, yeah. it's something that have been forgotten, uh, especially with the advent of, uh, because I, I, I belong to a generation where in, as a kid, um, uh, you will not uh, stand up from the table, from the dining table, unless you finish all your vegetables. No? So, but nowadays, a lot of Filipinos uh, Filipino children are are not aware of any, of a lot of vegetables. The only vegetables they know are French fries, right? So potato, which is not a vegetable, right? That's uh, which not, is a, not vegetable. a vegetable, right? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's one basic yeah. thing. Uh, that's why I have a program in in our clinic called it's a teaching kitchen program. Wherein uh, you'll be surprised. Um, a lot of people at the start really are um, not used to it anymore as compared before, wherein really cooking is just natural. I mean, um, yeah. uh, meals are prepared at home. But now, since everything can be ordered online and everything, there's uh, access to fast food, those things. So uh, I tell my patients, that's a very basic advice that if you want to be healthy, you start cooking. Um, you start cooking. And at mm -hmm. the same time, um, um, breathing. Uh, so, I mean, everything, like, those are things that can be done uh, for free, right? So, yes. uh, and of course, especially when uh, they're stressed, chronically stressed, especially working women, uh, uh, they're juggling between their role as a mom as well as, as a professional, right? So, sometimes they tend to forget to breathe, right? So, and uh, just breathing, like, um, the very easy way, uh, like, the soft belly breathing techniques, you know, those things 
um, I teach to my patient you know, because it's easy you know, uh, and it's for free. Right. So, and also when I'm dealing with cardiometabolic conditions and predisposition, especially for those who are really metabolically, um, not just, I mean, truly obese at the same time, metabolically compromised. Um, if the, if, if they're the right candidate and I, I have investigated um, uh, their condition and I see that there's a value of fasting or intermittent fasting or uh, prolonged fasting, if they can do it, especially if they're morbidly obese. Those are also the things that I uh, advise my patients no? because <laughs> it's free to fast, right? So, uh, so those things. Um, and of course, uh, we are already a dark, deprived society. It's really so hard to let go of uh, our relationship with this one, right? So, uh, so the way I say to them about the value of sleep is you, you, you respect your sleeping time like you respect your appointments. Right? So if you have an appointment, right? so you respect it because you respect the individual that you're about to meet. So if you're supposed to meet at, at 10 a.m., there you're there at least two minutes or five minutes before 10, 10 a.m., right? So the same thing with sleep because I tell my patients that our biological system is actually hardwired to our ecological system. Our body knows that what it's daytime and our body knows it's nighttime. No, and there are things that happens in our body during daytime, and there are things that happen during nighttime. So if you alter this circadian pattern, uh, you, you, uh, don't be surprised. Uh, all your busy schedule have metabolic consequences. No, so uh, those are the things that what, uh, right. I, I, I'll tell my I tell my patients. And I, what about what about nurses and and admin staff? Like I know we have a lot of staff here that are working a, a night shift, you know, there. So it's like 12-hour difference. Um, how do you manage a circadian rhythm when someone's working at, at night? And, and how do you balance that? How can you balance Not that? just nurses, Andrew, but here in the Philippines, the Philippines is Asia's capital for business processing uh, offices. No, So, I mean, ah, a I lot didn't of people here are, stud are working late. Uh, uh, their, their night is our daytime and our daytime is their nighttime. So what I tell them is that you can reset your body clock by fooling it, you know, by making sure that after your shift, okay, if your shift is done in the morning by 7 a.m., you make it appear like it's your 7 p.m. So sometimes I tend them to I, I tell them to wear, of course, those um, amber-colored glasses, or at times, I, of course, we advise them to uh, make the room as dark as possible. And then if they're sleeping 10 p.m. at night, the same thing for their schedule, they should sleep by 10 a.m. and then be awakened. Uh, uh, the same thing. So it's just really altering your body clock, fooling it to think that you are in the American time. You are, you are in Maryland time, even though you're in the Philippines. So there's some like, rhythm, but there's some rhythm to that. Essentially, that keeps the body a, a little yeah, bit more correct. balanced. So the erratic yeah. uh, sleeping pattern is not uh, is not happening to them, and you, hence you can still uh, uh, remain to be biologically healthy. So we talked a lot about uh, different uh, challenges, you know, in the Philippines and things that that you're definitely, you know, doing and, and others like you that, you know, really leading the way and trying to transition from a, a illness-based, you know, health industry to a wellness, you know, based prevention community model. It sounds like there's a lot of, a lot of pieces there. That's really so great. Um, what is one thing you wish everyone knew about addressing cardiometabolic uh 
conditions or syndromes. If, if there was one thing you had to tell, you know, people out there listening, whether they're in the U.S. or the Philippines or wherever around the world, what would be that one kind of piece of Dr. Oye advice uh, to remember about about uh, for, for today? Well, um, metabolic diseases or uh, chronic diseases develops before they are detected. Okay. So metabolic diseases such as diabetes, such as heart disease or hypertension, um, they develop before they are detected. No. So they're silent. Mean, yeah, they're silent. Yeah, they're silent. So that doesn't mean that you don't have any symptoms. Doesn't mean that you have an, a no abnormal laboratory test. It does not equate to mean that you are optimally healthy. It mm -hmm. only means that you're not yet sick, right? So, but uh, the, uh, the time will come wherein when the system can no longer compensate, when the system can no longer uh, um, adjust to maintain your physiologic resiliency of the organs, and when the time that this chronic diseases manifest evidence that a disease is there already, that means to say it's a bit too late already. Okay. Hmm. So downstream already. Trying to, trying to prevent uh, diseases yep. through through healthy lifestyle. And um, great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Oye, for coming on today and discussing really a bunch of things uh, uh, about, you know, healthcare in the Philippines, uh, health and wellness, metabolic syndrome. We have a fun closing question for you, if, if you don't mind uh, sharing with the listeners about morning routine. We really believe that morning routine is very healthy. It gets us off to a good start for the day. You know, every day is is a miracle that we wake up, you know, basically, and, and we're alive. So do you have a morning routine? And if so, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us. I always start with a prayer, a prayer. Nice. So even before going, uh, I mean, standing up from my bed, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I started with a prayer. Okay. And then of course, um, uh, clean up and then um, do some breathing exercises um, or at least uh, always make sure that I get the, the morning sun. Uh, at least 15 minutes of that. Not so much into, into exercise except uh, walking. My exercise mostly is through fasting. Uh, uh, I, I do a lot of fasting because, well, uh, one of the conditions that affected me before was um, an autoimmune condition, uh, which really is due to a compromised um, gut, uh, my gut health status. And uh, I had SIBO before. And uh, one of the things that really helped me a lot um, uh, to detoxify as well as to restore hormone balance um, is by uh, through fasting, through fasting and uh, combining during weekends with exercise and making sure that I do respect my sleeping time, <laughs> which is yes. about now, a few minutes from now. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we'll make sure you uh, get, okay. you get no your problem. sleep. No, I'm just kidding, Andrew. I'm just kidding. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> It is. It is nighttime there. So we appreciate you coming on uh, during the uh, American morning time. Um, how can listeners learn more about you, Dr. Oyi, and work with you or learn about your programs, etc.? Well, um, uh, they can look at our website. It's called uh, Go to Health, www.gotohealth, not hell, health. Okay, go to health. That's good. That's an important distinction there. So go to health. Yeah. So, okay. Go to health. Uh, uh, yes. Okay. okay. Go to health. Yeah. That ph. www.gotohealth.ph. Well, it's the the. I think it's the only clinic. Um, uh, a teaching and a health. Uh, uh, a teaching and a coaching health clinic wherein we do uh, a collaborative care team approach and we do offer programs, health programs, and health plan subscription. 
wherein the goal is to restore back the balance of your system in order for you to either reverse your chronic diseases or prevent it uh, or just to optimize your, uh, your health. Uh, so uh, everything, we don't just do consultation. We actually do a lot of um, teaching sessions. Uh, so when patients are enrolled into a program uh, or subscribe to a health plan, uh, they are not just managed by one doctor. They're actually managed by the whole team, uh, by nutritionist, uh, culinary chef, uh, culinary medicine chef. We have fitness professional, yoga teachers, meditation coaches, chiropractors, acupuncturists. So um, it's a collaborative care team approach. Um, and the focus is on their health, not their individual diseases or their different symptoms and uh, signs and symptoms or the problematic lab results. We're focused on uh, teaching them how to make their uh, kitchen as their pharmacy, F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, not the P-H-A-R-M-A-C-Y, how to use food as medicine, literally, literally. No? So we compute for their um, uh, uh, precise meal formula, precise meal structure, as well as we teach them how to make use of their very own lifestyle as their uh, own personal doctor. So the goal is to make them as a well-empowered managers of their health. Now, so that if they remain healthy, then uh, the goal of our company is to create an epidemic of healthy Filipinos. So that if you do, even if you don't have a hospital in your area, but if you remain to be optimally healthy, then you don't need to see a doctor, right? Yeah. So that's the that's our that's our company's uh, mission and vision. That is so, so great. great. That, that's so great. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you know wellness care is is the way to go to keep us all healthy. Um, if I was in the Philippines, I'd definitely sign up with your clinic. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we, we definitely, uh, definitely a lot of parallels, I think, between what you're doing there and, and capital yes. integrative health. I really agree. It, you know, it takes a team, you know, it takes a, a team of healthcare professionals, wellness professionals, also community members. I think, you know, the more that we can get our patients, uh, family and friends involved too, and, and it becomes more of a village, you know, situation yeah. as opposed to like an isolated person, right? We talk about a lot in the functional medicine about not only the, the physical aspects of health, but also the mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of health and how it's really the community is the healer. Yeah, the core, it's the core of the matrix. I mean, the mental, yeah. emotional, spiritual That's part. Right. Of, of our body is the core of the matrix and everything is connected, right? So we're not, we're not talking about the, the movie, the matrix. We're talking about the functional medicine no, no, matrix no. here. <laughs> Although I think if you take that blue or red pill and you see the other side, maybe people will switch over to, Hey, well, this, this is, yeah, this is the, this is the I just thing. finished repeating it as well. No? The, the, the several, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's, uh, not that one, not that kind of matrix. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wei, for coming on and um, I'd love to have you back to discuss more global health topics with you at some point. Uh, so thank you so much. Sure, I'll be there December, uh, but in, uh, in uh, I think, Las Vegas. Uh, okay, for, okay. Uh, for an E4M conference. I'm not sure if I can pass by um, uh, Maryland again, but if I do, I'll, I'll definitely- Yeah, please, definitely love to have yeah. you back, visit okay. some. All right, well, have a good night's sleep there. We'll see you later. Okay, you too. Good morning to so everyone there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. 
Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations. And thank you so much again for being with us.